welcome to the Carry Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today we have Kurt Stewart with us. He retired as a full board colonel after 28 years of service. Kurt has been out of the military just under a year and is currently a nursing student at the University of Alabama, Huntsville. Thanks for being with us today, Kurt. Good morning, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. A little chilly uh, with a little bit of uh, late winter weather here in Huntsville, but other than that, fantastic. Great. All right, let's delve right in because we have a lot to talk about. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, so let's, can we start out with your military career and tell us what you'd like to tell us? I mean, 28 years is a long time, so. Geez, uh, 28 years uh, went by uh, pretty quick. Uh, started out, uh, came out of Clemson University where I had got a civil engineering degree, but the Army probably saw my GPA when I came out um, after four and a half years and they decided I should be a transportation officer um fortunately part of my uh time that i spent saving up for college i learned how to drive a dump truck so you know i was a natural um i was going to do my four years and get out like every patriotic american um that didn't pan out that exact same way so you know just under 28 years later and change um i ended up here in um huntsville alabama where the army left me Uh, close enough to home so I could check out my mom down in Charleston, uh, my sister in upstate South Carolina, and my brother and his family up in Cincinnati, and uh, where I thought there wouldn't be a whole lot of snow, but I guess this last week kind of proved that, you know, there's an occasional bout of that, and uh, retired here with uh, my wife and two kids, kids now 20 and 18, and um, that's pretty much it. Spent about four years of that time uh, downrange and about almost 17 years of that, 28, uh, living overseas with the family. So you spent a lot of time in Germany. A lot of time in Germany. And then Dawn and I spent two years in Korea before we had children. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, um, just so our listeners know, you and I know each other because you were, um, my rear D commander, right? When I was deployed with 109th and then I came back and fell underneath you under rear D. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think that you were in the 109th deployed when I was deployed with the 28th Trans Battalion. And okay. then when we redeployed, uh, y'all redeployed, and I was tagged to be the uh, rear battalion commander um, during that time when you were uh, with the 109th. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that was great fun. So, uh, why, uh, why do you say that? Cause I don't really remember it being that much fun. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Um, okay, that's what I, so I think 20 months of rear battalion command in Germany was almost as tough as, uh, um, my, as battalion command downrange, uh, which I did do a couple of years after that. Um, the battalion itself, the, the 28th uh, rear detachment swole up from seven companies to 13 companies because at the time, a lot of stuff was closing down in Germany. So we gained everything from two DS maintenance companies to an explosive ordnance detachment and an army band. In fact, the old Fifth Corps band. That's right. They, uh, yes. And uh, in fact, we got so many units that they uh, that the uh, CG there ended up uh, rating me as a battalion commander for uh, two for 20 months there it was a lot of um, a lot of uh, interesting times there 
And uh, in fact, I came out of that job and instead of staying to inactivate the unit, uh, I opted to go on another deployment. So that was, that ended up being my third deployment. Okay, now is 28 Trans Battalion still active? Uh, no, it inactivated about six months after, after I left there. So that was in 2000, it inactivated around the middle of 2010. Okay. So I left there in 2000, in August of 2009 and deployed in, in an MP billet. And then uh, with, because by then the battalion was under 18th MP Brigade. That's right. Okay. That's right. Because we would have, we would go to their balls. The yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The 18th MP Brigade. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then you ended up leaving, you ended up leaving Germany, but then coming back like two or three more times. I did. I went. I went downrange on a YAS, so individual deployer um, to uh, uh, Minsticky, uh, the multinational security transition teams, uh, and so we were the with the joint command that was running the uh, the pit teams, the the police uh, the police transition teams, training Iraqi policemen because you know who better than a truck driver to train Iraqi <laughs> policemen, right? Right, an 88 Mike or an 88 Alpha, right? Exactly. It's all training. It's all good Army training. So after a year of that, I actually got promoted to Lieutenant Colonel downrange. Oh, nice. And uh, when I came back, they didn't really have any jobs for a, a logistics Lieutenant Colonel in the MP Brigade. So since I still lived in Mannheim, I just commuted up to uh, Heidelberg for six months because I was supposed to move from there to Italy to take command of the 14th uh, Movement Control Battalion but the army had decided to inactivate it. So they just said, stay where you're at and then we'll re-slate you for another job. And about six months into working in Heidelberg, about two weeks before they, they issued, published the re-slate, they called me and asked if I wanted to take a command um, right away. And you know how the army is with that. There's always a catch. So the catch was that I had to move my family to Fort Eustis and deploy right away. Mm -hmm. uh, so I moved my family to Fort Eustis and one week later deployed to uh, uh, back down range to took the sixth transportation truck battalion um, to for another year uh, to do theater flatbeds and gun trucks on the same, basically the same mission that you were probably deployed with, with 109th. Um, so we actually did Operation New Dawn and, and retrograded uh, cargo out of Iraq for for 2011 to 2012. Wow, yeah, that was probably and that was probably still an intense time there as well, right? Uh, yeah, we were pretty busy. So we went, we got there at the exact same time that 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 the people stopped waiting for the the button to get pushed to say, you know. We're, we're going to get an extension and be able to keep troops here and know the decision was made, pull everything out. So we had from about, we got there in March and we had from May to December to get everything that we could out of there and all the troops out. So the last convoys rolled across the border in December. And in December, we shifted two of our gun trucks companies up to Afghanistan. And so I got to go up there and uh, and get those get a couple couple of them lined up to run missions from uh, Bagram out to uh, Jalalabad, and then oh. one of the uh, the one of the companies did that, and the other company uh, 
did uh, retro sort stuff in Kandahar and Leatherneck and places like that. And then what was your, um, what was your, your last um, leadership position or job in the military? I know you were, you're. Um, oh yeah. After staff. that, I came back. Um, well, I came back from that. Then I went back to Germany to Stuttgart to UCOM and did distribution. And then after that, I did brigade command at uh, 598, uh, which is a theater, theater sea lift brigade working for, for SDDC. So we did theater sea lift support for Europe and Africa. Uh, headquarters is based out of Scott Air Force Base, works for Transportation Command. Uh, but our job was to support European Command and African Com AFRICOM at the time, which just got merged back into being a single command and provide um, theater shipping for uh, both, both combatant commanders. Now, I, I know a lot of people think that theater sea lift and ships should come from the Navy, but um, that's the army responsibility. So we run the seaports and have to provide uh, or, or book commercial sea lift. So that was my job for the last two years before I moved back to the States. Okay. And then what did you do for your last job before you retired? Just like a year ago. Uh, so for the last two years before I retired out of um, Redstone, I moved back here and I was the chief of staff for the um, uh, United States Army Security Assistance Command. That's the organization that does handles foreign military sales for the Army part of the Department of Defense. So all of our allies and partners that purchase U.S. made military equipment um, that, that buy Army specific equipment. So um, air defense systems that are ground launch systems, uh, tanks, Bradleys, uh, soldier weapons, those kind of things that are associated with the Army. Um, they, they, they work with uh, USASAC to, uh, to make those weapon purchases and uh, to get the training for those systems. Uh, just the same way that the Air Force has a similar organization and the Navy has a similar organization for say um, Air Force fighters or for Navy ships or Naval aircraft. So that's what USASAC does and they work for Army Materiel Command because they provide a material and training solution for foreign uh, military sales which is part of uh, U.S. foreign assistance and also part of uh, um, partnership, par building partnership capacity. The same, the same way as NATO, um, you know, provides our support to our alliance with uh, with our NATO partners and allies. Uh, this, that's what that's what uh, USASAC does for for the Army. And you decided not to, to finish out the thirty years. Um, no, because, uh, chief of staff is a great job. So you're, you're basically, you are the executive secretary for, for a general and you organize his, you're the head of his executive staff, but it's, it's just that it's a, it's a staff position. So even as a brigade commander, my job was really to enable it was to enable other commanders. I think I learned at the Army War College, I learned from another former brigade commander that if you're having too much fun as a brigade commander, at least one of your battalion commanders isn't. 
Mm. And your job is not to be the best battalion commander in your brigade. So, but even there, I still had day-to-day contact with soldiers that were executing a mission. And I had day-to-day contact with the young people that are the absolute best thing in the army or, you know, the Navy Marines. And I, I got to see them and have influence on the job they were doing. And I got to, you know, you know, shape the performance and the, and, and take care of the welfare of, you know, America's sons and daughters. Uh, being a staff officer is, I mean, being a, even an executive staff officer running a staff is, 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 a, is kind of a really just a desk job. It's a great desk job, but you know, it was, it was never really the reason I joined the army. Um, I kind of joined the army to be outside and do things and be engaged with, with people and, uh, and with soldiers. So um, I could do a couple more years of that, or I could kind of pursue what, what my heart was after. And I decided, I decided probably by the time I was finishing up brigade command that I knew what I wanted to do when I retired. Yes, let's talk about that. So fast forward to today. How did you how did you decide what you were going to do? How did you know? Um I think I kind of came to the revel- to the that revelation as I was finishing up brigade command. I knew that that was going to be my my last opportunity to work with closely with soldiers and um and I knew that from my 4 years as dis- experience downrange that I kind of still in the back of my, my mind somewhere, I owed a great debt to some other, another group of great Americans. Um, and, and that was this, the, the air, air medevac folks and the medics that had always come and taken care of our convoy soldiers or our uh, police trainer soldiers, or even Iraqi EOD policemen that would, that would uh, get injured or wounded on the job um, was so uh, every time we had a convoy that got hit and, and you know even when, when a gun truck I was traveling in got hit you know they de- never didn't come it didn't matter if it was air was amber or air was red uh, whenever you called them they came and they always took care of our our troops so um, I got in my head that I wanted to be a uh, I wanted to be a flight trauma nurse uh, because that's kind of the civilian version of, of being a, a medevac um, medic. Okay. And, um, and I, I had, you know, had considered doing uh, medical school when I was a lot younger. And, but when I went through college the first time, that option just wasn't there. It, I could handle four years of college. And, and I wasn't a great student the first time I went through. I had a lot more maturity now. Um, I had a lot more focus but I didn't have a lot more time. Um, and uh, so after some thinking and a good bit of research, I decided that the equivalent I wanted to go for was, was a, uh, was a flight nurse, flight nursing degree. And the way to achieve it was to go to nursing school. So here I am. And you have a year, you have uh, three more semesters after the current semester you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly cut and dried like that, how I got here. So what I did is I started, uh, I did the research and um, I saw that I could either get an RN or I could uh, pursue a, a BSN, which is a bachelor's of science in nursing. And um, 
the way to do it though was to apply because I got a first degree when I did ROTC. Yes, 25 years ago. Getting closer to 30, getting there. But um, I was able to transfer some of those credits over to make like credits. Um, strangely enough, was that I had an engineering degree and there's just not a lot of stuff that goes straight over into a nursing degree. Wait, but there let, is some. They let you transfer credits from 25 years ago? Well, it's, it's Clemson I mean, University. It's a great school. Yeah, no, that, that that's impressive. I'm impressed. But it wasn't a lot, though. So I did have to make up some uh, prerequisites. And I did. I actually had to take statistics, which was horrible, and especially because I had to do it all online. Uh, but a combination of uh, night school and some online courses over the two years before I retired, um, I made up the prerequisites and knocked out the first two years worth of stuff that would have been my lower half nursing, basically an associate's degree level of stuff other than the technical classes. And then I, I enrolled and got accepted into UA Huntsville's um, uh, BSN upper half program. And that's what I'm doing now. So I finished all the anatomy and, uh, and microbiology and those prerequisites beforehand at, at the community college. And then with those grades, I enrolled and got accepted. So now I'm doing the clinical work, the, uh, the hospital work and pharmacology and the more advanced uh, nursing classes. So I've done, I'm in my second semester of that now and I'll have three more to go after this one. And a lot of that's about half and half classes and uh, clinical work. And then you'd also mentioned before, are you guys giving COVID vaccinations or are you assisting with that process? Well, both. I've had my first one. I get my second one tomorrow morning. And but we're actually assisting the counties out at the county health departments um, during some of our clinical hours. And we're just going out and we got certified on giving injections earlier, at, much earlier at the beginning of the semester. So. But and we're also doing it under the observe, observation of our of our nurse clinicians, so they're not just sending us out go and do. Um, they, they they probably would. They're a lot more careful than that. But uh, yeah, so we're actually providing manpower for the the um, county health departments that they otherwise wouldn't have because uh, they're getting the volume of shots they need, um, but they just don't have that manpower on their own. So. We're helping them and uh, they're helping us by letting us get the clinical hours that we need and it, uh, it's getting the job done. So I'm actually going to get my second, second shot because we're also doing clinicals in the hospital. So we needed to have them anyway. Uh, and then, like I said, we're helping out the counties to get their, their vaccinations in mass done in the priorities that, uh, that they were doing them anyway. And now are you just giving them to, was it 65 and above or, or. Is 65 and above and first responders, healthcare workers, they set the priorities and they have the, uh, the rosters for the people that are coming in. We just go through, check off their information and actually administer the, uh, the shots, the vaccines, draw them up and administer them. And then you, you, you expect that like later on there'll be enough for the entire population or. Um, that's the distribution is done by the states through the federal government. So the federal government gives the states their allotments and then the state divides it, delivers it out to the counties and the counties 
you know, when they get it, they divide, they divide it out into the two doses. So they'll issue the one dose and then have the second dose set aside for the person to come back in. I think it's different. It's three weeks for the Pfizer, four weeks, I think, for Moderna. Okay. And then are you, I'm not real familiar about nursing degrees. So are you actually studying to be specifically an ER nurse or a trauma nurse, or how, how do you pick and focus in so on what it is? Go ahead. Actually, the BSN is, is a bachelor's of science in nursing. So you get that degree. And then you, just like with the RN, registered nurse, you still have to take the NCLEX, which is a nurse's licensing exam. And that's the same exam across all 48 states. It's a standard licensure exam to get licensed. And then once you're licensed, you're, you're licensed. And then for specialization, you'll still do additional work to get specialization. So <clears throat> my last semester will actually be a preceptorship in the hospital in the specialization that I want to specialize in. So during these semesters, we will do, we will do clinicals in all different areas. This semester particularly is gerontology. Next semester is medical med surge, so medical surgical. The semester after that, I think, is is neonatal and OBGYN. The semester after that is is I think is a preceptorship, and you can apply for one of those, either ER or um, um, or or neonatal uh, pediatrics or um, ortho or etc you know, neurosurgery or something like that. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a continuing educational thing to continue to specialize. And then if you want to be a nurse practitioner, well, that's an entire, that's a master's degree and above program. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. And then, so what are you, what do you see? I know you, you still have a couple more semesters, but where do you see yourself wanting to work and what, and what would you like to do when you graduate? Well, when I graduate, uh, I intend, you know, the first thing you got to do is get experience. Experience is that thing you got to, you know, you need, you get right after you need it. Right. So I think what I'll do is I'll probably will apply to work in, in an emergency department. Um, initially, uh, Huntsville area actually has a very good uh, emergency department and one of the, uh, and a, and a trauma unit that you can kind of work your way into you as you get more experience in just the regular emergency department, then you can begin to learn, observe and then learn and then uh, get certified in certain trauma skills. So that's probably what I'll do. Uh, eventually I might like to work in transport. Uh, Duke university has a good program. That's uh, um, multimodal transport. It, uh, they do ground and air transport. Uh, but you need to have additional skills also in NICU and PEDS to do that because they do about 70% or so of what they do in transport is pediatric and neonatal. So you really kind of have to know how to move the isolate units. So it's, it's, there's always additional skills that you need to have to be able to do additional things. Um, so it's just a matter of continuing to build up those skills and, uh, and become qualified to do additional things. But you, know, you have to start somewhere. So I probably will start in an emergency department and uh, start off as an ER nurse. Now, you're kind of in a rural area, right, in Alabama? Or? Well, Huntsville itself is not. Huntsville is continuing to grow. Um, but you don't have to go very far to be in a rural area. You remember living in Germany, you could be in the middle of, of the town of Mannheim, but go 10 miles and 
you're out in the middle of a field. Mm -hmm. uh, there's places like that around here. You can go 40, 50 miles and you're in the middle of nowhere. So I, I'm interested also in potentially eventually uh, becoming qualified to work in a small uh, rural ER, which is uh, NHSA is a um, federal organization that works with each of the states that uh, will that um, that helps helps run helps the states run small or small hospitals that that'll have ERs that have to be kept open even though they have very small populations just because they need to be able to serve those populations in time of emergency or disaster. And with very small rural ERs, they have to be able to be capable uh, because that hospital may not have a maternity ward. Um, and well, if somebody that lives that far out is gonna have a baby and they're having that baby now, well, guess what? That emergency department just became the maternity ward um, and, and things like that. So then you wanna put people there that have multiple skills and, and can handle those kind of things. So I kind of hope eventually to gain the kind of skills in a larger emergency ED practice, you know, ED in a hospital, then I can eventually uh, work in a, in a smaller, more rural facility, either here or, or possibly in, uh, in rural North Carolina, which is somewhere we may look to, uh, to live at least part-time. That's really interesting. It sounds like you have, you'll have a lot of um, opportunities to go where I'm sure there's a lot of demand for nurses anywhere right now. Well, not only just because of COVID, but yeah, there demand, demand for nurses is, uh, is pretty, pretty big across the whole U S. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity and, uh, and it's, it's, it, it can be a pretty tough demanding job, but one of the reasons I actually picked it over, but just despite, besides the, the fact that it takes less time to actually go to school there than say to be a physician is I probably would have chosen over trying to be a physician anyway, because I, I like the fact that nurses are actually, they have a, a, a large role of being the patient's advocate. Not Nothing against doctors or anything, but they, you know, they are so, they have so many patients they have to tend to that they have to stay a little bit aloof of, you know, becoming involved with the patient and the patient's family and the, and some of the details of the situation. Whereas, you know, kind of in a nurse's role, I can become by having a requirement, you know, a responsibility to be the patient's advocate. I'm kind of back in that situation where I was before as the commander, you're, you're, you're the soldier's advocate. Yeah. You have a responsibility to get the mission first, but you know, it's, think back a million years to the old, the old cadet creed. It's soldiers for it's mission first and soldiers always. Right. Or is it mission first? Or mission first and people always or something yeah, like something. that. Something, Yeah. It's been a long time, <laughs> but if you don't have, you know, if you don't keep your troops in shape, then you're never going to get the job done, you know? And it's kind of the same way with, with nursing. If you don't, if you, if, if at the end of the day, the patient and the family aren't taken care of the patient in particular, isn't satisfied or what, you know, they're what that's who you're there for in the first place. So if at the end of the day, what, what, whatever did transpire didn't serve 
the patient, then you failed anyway. So I don't know. That's it's. I probably went a little deeper than than <laughs> than I intended to there. Uh, maybe you know went off trail a little bit. But I just yeah, think that's kind of. Well, I just think it's all very interesting because um, I, you don't hear many people and you, know, you don't hear many people retiring and going into nursing. Like I just, I don't hear that much. I mean, people go back to school, but is that, is it not that, is it rare or not that rare? Um, I actually know when I, when I told some folks, that's what I was planning to do. I, by and large, I had a folks, a number of folks say, I know somebody who did that and they loved it but I don't really know anybody who actually did it. I just seem to know a lot of people who knew onesies and twosies people who did it. And they all say that they really enjoyed it. So, you know, that's a good thing. Um, I, I would say there's not a lot of folks that, you know, certainly it's not a huge moneymaker. Um, I am sure there were a lot of people who raised an eyebrow when I told them I was going to go do it, because there's a lot better, there's a lot more money to be made doing other things. Um, and there was a lot of other options that I had that, that I could have very, you know, that I, that I, I, you know, I chose not to do. Um, and I'm happy I chose not to do them. I mean, I had no desire to go and do the GS thing at any grade. Um, and not that I, I, you know, I would not that I would shame anybody that wants to go do that. Um, there's a need. There's, uh, you know, there's requirements to be filled, and plenty of people go fill them, and plenty of people do very well at that. Um, there is, uh, and and I really, you know, in my last job before I came here. I met a lot of great people in the commercial shipping industry and a lot of great patriotic Americans that, you know, are neither out to rip off the government or, you know, or in it to make a quick buck, but do great and wonderful things and get paid very well. And I would love to have worked with some of those folks. And that would have probably been my second career choice. Um, and some great places to live to go do that too, because I grew up on the coast. Um, I could have lived 10 minutes from where my mom's house is now in Charleston. Um, but, it, you know, it just wasn't alluring enough for me to want to do that. Well, plus I feel like being a nurse and definitely an ER nurse is exciting and it still kind of gives you that, um, that excitement to, to be doing something that that's of importance. I won't say that I'm not a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, adrenaline junkie. Yeah, I think. I think you don't go through the military and not become one or, I mean, I don't know. Well, plus I had to have something that would make me get up and exercise too, because, you know, the, I won't say the but retirement 10 pounds hasn't found me, but uh, that's, I partially blame that on COVID because I've had to take a lot more at home online courses than, than getting up and going into class every morning. So I haven't got a good back good into my, you know, morning PT, you know, ritual, but I'll get back on it with this semester. So. Good. Yeah. You'll have to get back to that. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the community service that you do in Huntsville. Um, That's mostly my wife's fault, but yeah. I mean, can you talk about some of the projects that you're working on? Um, 
Yeah, actually, one of them's laying down right behind me. Uh, we picked up our newest foster. We Don and I foster uh, uh, dogs. We can't, you know, we're we're not ready to foster humans yet. Um, but uh, yeah, we we work with a couple of the pet rescues that uh, rescue them. We foster them temporarily until they until they um, get you know move are ready to, to, to move up north to adoptive families and stuff. Uh, right now we have uh, Juanita we picked up today and she's, she's an expectant mother. So she's our second expectant mother we've had. So we'll have her until she delivers and then her and her pups are about eight weeks old and ready to, to uh, move on to their new home. But so we've, in the two years we've been here, we've, yeah, we fostered about 25 or so dogs but it's mostly you know you know help there's so many stray animals around here apparently there's a lot of there's a lot of people willing to adopt dogs up north i think the two fosters we work with are one's out of chicago and one's out of wisconsin somewhere but anyway um let's see and then we work uh huntsville is actually apparently a a uh, very popular spot for for homeless people um so you were talking about that how they get bus tickets done yeah it's and i don't really know that for a fact but i have actually heard that some northern states will literally like give homeless people bus tickets to come to huntsville because they know that the community here will actually take care of them um and uh you know actually it's strange that that our mayor actually made it illegal to uh provide direct assistance to there's actually i think three or four four i think that i know of uh, large like enclaves of of homeless people that like tent cities um in the in the huntsville area um so we we kind of work we work with at least one of the organizations that goes out there and feeds them so we prepare meals for them for about 150 folks at a time usually once a month and uh, so far we haven't been busted, but uh, you know, we, uh, you know, so, so we do that, we just try to help out when we can. Um, and uh, you know, we pitch in with, uh, with uh, some of that stuff. Um, do you think it's important though, when, when veterans get out or when, that they do work, work within their community? Like, is that something that you would give as advice that veterans need to do when they get out or not need to do, but something they should look at doing? I think, um, well, especially around here, Huntsville has got a huge, huge veteran population. And it's as easy to see as, you know, as I still go right now, because my wife works on Vegas, I, I still go into Fox to pick up my prescriptions. And every time I go in there, there's obviously like, half a dozen vets sitting in there waiting on meds and and it's really amazing just to sit down next to uh or six feet away i guess these days from from an old vet wearing a navy ball cap or an army ball cap and just to hear their story and just start talking to them and ask them what they're you know you know, not asking what meds they're in for today, but ask, you know, when they retired and you will hear the just uh, most unbelievable stories. Uh, but downtown, you see them all the time and they're, they're proud of their service. Uh, so it could be a World War II vet, a Korea vet, a World War I vet. So I always try to, try to, you know, engage them a little bit, talk to them. 
Um, and some of the, some of the um, folks that you'll meet is just unbelievable. Um, one of the organizations that we work with, I, I think I was telling you, um, had just was, was helping out a vet who had moved back, you know, was living in his parents' house and it was falling down around him. And just the community outreach was just incredible. We did, we found out he was a vet secondarily. Uh, it just happened to be that his parents' house was falling down around him and, and they were, they just decided to rebuild his house. They were going to just fix it, but it was in such bad repair that, 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 that there was enough in community interest. They just decided to tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. So, you know, and, uh, I, had a, I took the guy out, out to um, out to lunch and the guy was a Vietnam vet and with the 101st. Okay. And he, um, and they put him out because he was illiterate. So the guy goes, does two tour, two, two, spends about two years in Vietnam with a separate brigade of the 101st as a paratrooper and a sniper. Wow. Makes master sergeant by 1970 and they and then they put him out of the army because he can't read because he's a dyslexic they write him his papers he goes home and lives in and lives in in alabama and i don't think the guy's ever been to the va that's so crazy it is so i'm trying to help i'm trying to help get him connected and i'm and i'm getting it's just difficult it's just the system is so large it just it just doesn't see these people and the guy doesn't want for it i mean he Medicaid is, you know, covering him, but he's 77 years old. He's not reaching out, but nobody's reaching to him because they just don't know he exists. So, I don't you, guys, know. you guys took about a bottom refrigerator, didn't you? Well, yeah, because we got our stimulus check and we're like, you know, what do I need a stimulus check for? So I took him down after lunch and we went to Lowe's and we said, let's get a fridge. I said, we had said, what kind do you want? He said, I don't care. Is it going to keep him food cold? The guy had never, he didn't have a refrigerator to replace. So, you know, they, when they built him a kitchen, they, I just called him and said, what's the measurements? And gave me the measurements and we got a refrigerator. That is so nice of you though. I mean, I, that is just really kind. But You know, it was, I don't know. It's just, it's tough though, because, you know, somebody in his church tried to help him out, but who was a veteran, a retired Navy guy. But if you just, it, and the guy got his information two years ago and who knows how hard that guy tried, but it's such a difficult system. I mean, the, you know, kind of the VA, because it's such a large system. And and you can put in, you can put her in a request for something, and it could it just gets lost, you know. So it's it's discouraging if you if you throw something against the wall and it just gets sucked into the vacuum, and you never hear back. And if you're a guy like that that doesn't know what happened, you know, 50 years ago when they just sent him home. He showed up in Alaska, you know, they changed, gave him a change of duty station, shows up there and they said, well, you can't read, you're out. That's crazy. Here's your discharge papers. 
Thank no, you for um, your service. Bye. It's 1970. The whole the whole country's confused, and this guy is more confused than anybody. And he's got right. no disability, right? I don't think he's had anything. They discharged him and sent him home. What do I do now? Go home. Okay. He ended up in the army. This is the most hilarious thing. He tells his story completely deadpan. I said, so how did you end up going in the army? He said, well, I went downtown and shot up a, the bathroom in, in a bar because with a 357. I said, why'd you do that? What's the 357? I and I was drunk. And it got the, he got the go to war, go to jail speech. He said, the next day I was on my way to Fort Jackson. That is awesome. And he said, I got there and I, I was pretty good at that army stuff. So they sent me to Benning and I went to, I volunteered for paratrooper school and I volunteered for sniper school. And then they sent me to Berlin. He was in the Berlin brigade and then they shipped oh, him over so cool. with the separate brigade over to, over to Vietnam. The, you know, the 101st sent a separate brigade early in 65 to be the fire brigade before the whole rest of the division went over. Yeah, so the guy's story is, is crazy. And but he's just been living, like, kind of just in the just shadows. Just, and he's probably pretty happy, too, right? I mean, he doesn't sound like he's complaining I mean, he's about it. he's not in great health, but, you know, he's not dissatisfied i guess he's just there i mean talking about transition um i mean i know that his transition was a long time ago but for soldiers today like you just did the transition and i'll be honest you made it look really easy but i feel like there's a lot of work also put in behind it and so what is your advice to um to soldiers that are leaving the military and how they can make sure that their transition is successful well, I'll tell you, the, the part that was easy for me was the decision of what to do. And that okay. was, and I think that's, and I, and I saw folks that were getting out around the same time as me. And that seems to be the, the toughest thing for a lot of folks. And I don't know how to solve that for, for folks. I mean, if you don't know what to do, maybe it's not, maybe you're not ready to get out. But um, I would say, you know, and when people have asked me, what should I do? I, I only say this, if, you know, if it's, you've got to decide what it's about. You know, if it's about, you know, if, if, if it's not about money, then fine. If it is about money and you've got these many obligations, then make sure you're doing something that's going to cover your obligations. If it's, if it's about doing what's going to make you happy, then do what you're going to do something you're going to be good at and that you enjoy because you're going to do a better job of it and you're going to do, and you're going to be fine. Um, but if it's, but in terms of, getting all the things lined up actually the transition part was the the big thing that was problematic for me for the transition was the timing the timing piece i could have done better with was get with a vso as close to the 180 days out as absolutely possible and don't do what some i saw some folks do which is go to the transition brief 800 times and make your whole last year about you know, becoming, getting a master's degree in transition. I think that's a little bit overkill. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you go to that class like a, as many times as you want? Based on what I saw somebody do, and I won't name names. No, you, yeah. You can. You can. Um, yes, I've seen people do it. I, I think that's a little bit overkill and not in the right direction. 
I just um, can't imagine why you'd want to sit through it more than once unless they change it and it's a lot better now. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I didn't get that vibe out of it. Um, I think it's, I think the, the thing they put on is kind of antiquated and I don't think it's, unless you really get somebody by the horns that's doing everything and catering specifically to you, then you didn't go to the same one I went to. Um, Wait, they did cater to you? No, that was, no, I said, unless you have somebody doing that and that's why you're going 10 times. Oh, okay. I got you. The one I went to was completely out of the can, but when I went, one, I went too late. Two, um, I, I tried to, I worked literally up to the day I started terminal leave and I only took 90 days of terminal leave. Um, well, you were already started school when you, on your terminal leave, right? I had, oh yeah, I, I started school. I, I didn't do any of my clearing while I was on terminal leave. I did it all before I started terminal leave. Um, when I started terminal leave, I was gone. Um, but uh, what I say, if you're going to do the transition brief, because if you're going to put in a, a BDD claim with VA, it has to be in at the very latest 90 days before the day you start, uh, before your transition date. Well, I'm sorry, what's a BDA? The BDD is the before dis- decision before discharge. A before discharge decision. They want, you want, they haven't, they aren't, it's a benefits determination at discharge. Is the BDD claim. That was the, the, they basically tell you that the, if you put your, your claim requests in and fill out their form that says, these are the disabilities that I'm, that I'm requesting. And here's a copy of my medical records. And here's the disabilities I'm claiming. And here's my part one physical or part one and part two physical, depending on if the military uh, got them completed and the VA gets them completed, then this is what I, this is what I'm requesting. And they are supposed to then within, if, as long as you get that into them between 90, 100, 180 and 90 days before your actual separation date, then then within it's 45 to 60 days or something after your separation date, they will have you a benefits, at least an initial percentage of benefit of benefits estimate. Really? Something like that. Now they've, they've given themselves more leeway since because of COVID and stuff like that. And because of the backlog that was created and all that, but that's, that's the basic deal with it. So I got my stuff into them about 93 or 94 days before my separation date. And they sent me a letter back a week later saying that I had turned in my request, but without a copy of my medical records, which was incorrect. But then I spent the next 120 days arguing with them about the fact that they really had to copy my medical records, which the first time I called them, they said, oh yeah, we got them right here. Like good. Can you put in? Can you send me a note and put it in your files that you have them? Oh no, we we have to put in a correction notice. 
in the computer that takes 30 days for us to validate. And then they took 120 days to tell me that it took them 30 days to validate it there. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the federal office of the uh, VA. Well, you're still Actually, waiting on your, once, um, oh God. No, no, you go ahead. Um, well, you're still waiting on your disability rating, right? Yeah, I'm actually now it took after the it finally in November, once they transferred it down to the state office and the state office assigned it to a to a um, contractor to do the medical, the actual medical evaluations that actually started in November. So I have about I finished up the rest of my appointments in March. And then from then, it'll be a, another month or two before they give me my percentage and all that. It's supposed to be backdated to your separation date, but you know, fortunately I wasn't holding my breath for it. So, and it is, you know, it's, it is what it is. So. And then do you have a good VA there? Is that a decent one? Um, I've had a couple of actual appointments with the VA clinic that's here in Huntsville and they seem like really good people. So. And then how is your they family? They cater to my level of crazy. <laughs> oh, do they? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good though, right? I mean, you know, it's good enough. It sounds like you have a huge veteran population there, so you would think that they would have a decent VA there. One would think. Yeah, there's an enormous veteran population here. They they all think it doesn't snow here, too. But you know, <laughs> we know that's not true. Exactly. Well, you know, it's like uh, what do they call it here? They call it you know DC West because there's so much. There's so much, uh, there's so many GOs and stuff retired in this area, I think. Oh, really? DC yeah. West? Well, you know, they moved, uh, they've, uh, well, the FBI just had a whole bunch of people move out here too. And okay. NASA's out here and we don't have Beltway type traffic though. Much nicer out here. Yeah. Well, DC has been quiet too for the last year. I don't think there's a whole lot going on here, but you know. Too much craziness in DC. Too much craziness, yeah. I mean, that kind of I kind of like it because that's my adrenaline. My adrenaline rush is DC and politics, but the housing's too expensive too. Yeah, but you got to find what you're passionate about. But that is one other question I want to hit on again because a lot of times people don't know what they want to do, and um, how do you suggest if they if they don't know what they want to do? How do you, they, you suggest finding what you want to do? Or exploring this or I mean do you use your GI Bill and then decide you don't want to be there after six months do you do nothing and get a job and then decide what you want to do like what would you recommend because you came out and you knew exactly what you wanted to do and you're doing it um, but so many people even like myself I went and got my master's degree but it was absolutely miserable like I was not a good student I did I could not sit still in class it was just an absolute disaster so well I was again I was doubly lucky because um, well, we came, we came back here and Dawn hadn't been able to work for 18 years. I mean, she got out of the army when we got back from Korea and then, you know, it was, she, at first it was great because she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And then we got to Germany and it was almost impossible for a spouse really to get meaningful work. Mm -hmm. And she didn't really want to go to school because they didn't offer what she wanted to study. Um, and then we got back here and she said, you know what, we're back in the States finally for, you know, the first time in over a decade and I want to work. And she, you know, she applied and she got, she started working at uh, target, you know, as a seasonal and they hired her on because she did, you know, 
she took on the job and she did good at it. And then uh, they hired, she ended up putting in on the, in the GS system and got hired into the Corps of Engineers and, and loves it. I mean, two years in, she's a, a GS six in, in a small office and uh, you know, and she enjoys doing it. So she's, you know, she jokes that, you know, she's for the, for the first time forever. She's my, she's the sugar mama. And <laughs> the flip side is at least she gets to date a college student. So, you know, it goes, it, it goes both ways, but I would tell you, um, do you, you know, I would say if you don't know what you want to do, you know, then, then plan accordingly. Uh, if you, if you're going to move to an area that you don't know, um, as a starter, then, then plan on it being temporary. You know, go into a place that you're going to rent a place. If you think, I'm not sure if I really want to go to school, then, you know, stick your toes in the water. Don't, don't dive in, you know, don't, don't do a swan dive into, into uncharted waters. Um, but some, you know, some, some folks are going to, some folks are going to chunk, chuck the anchor in, you know, and, and, and go in, you know, whole hog. I don't know. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people, if they're getting ready to make that that separation or, that re, or a retirement type situation, at least have some idea. Um, but so that kind of puts me back to the 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 uh, same assessment I mentioned before. Think about what it is that you know what what if you could do anything. If you're at a point where where you're going to make a big change like this, if you could do anything, what is it that you would most like to do? Because what you wanted, what you would, what makes you happy. Is what you're most likely to be good at, mm-hmm. and then follow that because you know everybody says, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up? Well, you're there, so you know you're, and you're only going to be there once, and you get have so few chances to make those, you know, those watermark decisions, and you know, make them uh, because they're gonna they're gonna change everything that comes after it, so you know, be bold. I think that's really good advice. And then any advice um, for people that want to go into nursing and that are in the military right now, any advice on how to prep for that or just any sort of. Um, Look at what's available. Uh, So like I said, I looked at the, I looked at RN programs versus a BSN program. Most states, um, will you you can get hired for the same amount of money as an rn as you can with a bsn Uh, a lot of states the hospitals will want you to eventually pursue a a bsn it costs a lot more to get a bsn for most folks it would have cost it's actually more expensive for me to get a bsn but it's going to cost me the same time in numbers of semesters it would have cost me five semesters either way, uh, except that I'm going to one school versus another school uh, to get it. Uh, RNs tend to be a little bit, their schooling tends to be a little bit more technical, a little less intense and a little more uh, bedside and technical type work. BSN, you tend to do a little bit more theory and a little bit more on the administrative and scheduling side as well, because uh, you end up with a bachelor's degree uh, versus an associate's degree. But you take the same licensure exam and you still you have the same credentialing. 
so if you're going to come into it, then, you know, look at those things. Um, if you're, you know, if you're not sure what you want to do, look at everything that's available. There's, you know, so many people scoff at uh, technical degrees and technical schools. Um, I have a friend who, who's a retired doctor and his middle child is getting his, uh, his paramedic certification and he couldn't be happier. My brother did that too. He, and, and and he's over the moon kids in the reserves as a reserve MI sergeant. And he's finishing up his level four paramedic down in Florida and he's on his own and he's doing great. Uh, There is no shame in his game. Uh, There's nothing wrong with going to tech schools Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks that are, I think the folks that are lining up and saying, you got to have a, this, that kind of liberal arts degree or da, da, da. There's plenty of folks out there with MBAs asking if you want fries with that. Um, or doing podcasts like me. Well, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with doing a podcast. Um, you know, so I think that people are realizing that, uh, you know, the, 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 that, Things are coming for a full circle uh, on the fact that technical people are needed. Um, I, you know, the IT guy that works in the College of Nursing at UAH is probably the busiest guy I see from day to day. Um, and he's very, very important, very needed around there. I'm, I'm not sure whether he's got a IT if he's whether he's got a computer engineering degree or or he's just got an IT tech certificate, mm-hmm. but he's just as valuable either way. Right. Nobody's um, asking him to show that show his educational documents. Yeah, they're just asking him to come. Please come and fix our please computers. Please just fix this. Yes. And and COVID, uh, you know, a year ago quadrupled his stock uh, because nobody can nobody last semester nobody could hold a class unless that guy came and made sure that they could get online. Oh, you mean when the teachers were teaching virtually? Yeah, last semester they taught almost they taught almost every class virtually. We okay. were able to come in for labs, and that was it. So, you know, I, I think that that's one thing I would say is that uh, is that there's nothing wrong. A GI Bill will pay for all kinds of technical you know educations, whether it's a master mechanic certification or you know. Um, any kind of technical education. There's nothing wrong with non-traditional uh, degrees and technical educations because there's there's plenty of demand out there for for uh, for all the all things that aren't you know your standard uh, degree path, uh, whether it's in the medical field, the technical field, or you know just about anything else. There's a need for it to get done. Nothing wrong with uh, getting certified in that. I think, that's, choices out there. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And then you can take it slowly too. You can just, you can build on that degree or you can keep getting yourself certified under what you're doing and you don't have to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being here today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before? And I, I'm so excited about you becoming a nurse and who'd have thought that you would be a nurse, but I think it's awesome. So good luck to you on your path. And I'm excited to see what you end up doing in the ER or, you know, what you end up doing with your nursing degree. So. Yeah, well, uh, you stay in touch as well, and uh, I'm I'm always interested to hear what's going to be on your next podcast, and definitely interested to see what you'll be doing in your future. So you know, who knows? Um, 
whether it's um, whether it's Indian Affairs or Congress or um, video podcasts from uh, Mars, I don't know. You never know, right? You never know. Yeah, and exactly. I never know what my next topic's going to be either. It just sort of like after reading the news, it just kind of comes to me what it's going to be. So, oh, there you go. Well, I saw the one from uh, from last week that you did. That was actually pretty good. The Brandon Act. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a huge, thank you. I appreciate that. But that's a huge issue right now. Obviously, you know, a suicide in, in the military, but yeah, that, that mm-hmm. was a, and that was a tough one to cover because his parents obviously have gone through hell. Oh so. yeah. No, I, I feel for any, any parents that have to go through that uh, regardless of the situation or, you know, military or civilian. It's just people, you know, people shouldn't have to bury their kids. No. And, and uh, he was their only child. Not that that, you know, but it kind of makes it a little worse because, you know. Yeah, oh no. All right, well, thank you so much and you have a good evening. Yes, ma'am. Great seeing you too. And thank you for your time. Mm-hmm.